Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. What a great show we have planned for you. Oh, my gosh. It is just absolutely amazing. I am so thrilled to be getting to have phenomenal conversation with Reverend Dr. Ruth Miller. She is the author of this incredible book I have in front of me, Natural Abundance, Ralph Waldo Emerson's Guide to Prosperity. So this is going to be a completely amazing conversation with Reverend Ruth. And let me just tell you a little bit about her. Um, Known for her ability and her work to integrate scientific and spiritual and cultural understanding to make sure we understand or at least get a sense of some of the metaphysical principles we're going to talk about today. But, you know, here she is with degrees in anthropology and cybernetics, and you're going to hear more about this in a minute, system sciences and much more. She's come to us to uh, introduce many of us uh, into the work of, of Ralph Waldo Emerson, but more importantly, to understand some principles that are so important to us right now in this world to thrive. You know, she is an ordained as a New Thought minister and beyond all of that, you know, serving in unity, science of mind and Unitarian churches in the Pacific Northwest and beyond. But more importantly, she's got a really cool doctorate, which I'm going to ask her about in a minute. And in and has a very powerful message, a message that is so important to the times we live in. So Dr. Ruth is joining Ruth Miller is joining us here today so that we can talk about Emerson. You know, we can find out why Emerson Emerson is 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 one of the most quoted people we have. But what is it about his messages? You know, is he understood? Is he misunderstood? And do we leave the interpretation up to the reader, to the person on the other end of it. Uh, thank you so much, Reverend Dr. For, uh, Ruth, for joining us here today. Welcome to the show. What a delight to be here, and what a sweet introduction. Thank you so much. It is great to have you here. Uh, I, I've got to ask you about some of the studies, and I think this is a great place for us to start. You know, I was reading a bit about you, uh, and uh, one of the things that I, I I read was that you earned a doctorate in system science. Now, mm-hmm. not many people will know what that is. And That's true. <laughs> I would love to talk about that a little bit because I think it's going to really serve as a backdrop for us tonight. I think you're probably true, right on that, accurate. System science is a relatively new field that grew after World War II when various people found that 
principles that they were applying and projects that they were doing, for example, the, the space, the whole space project, all of that, um, were, were involving principles that they could apply in a lot of different ways. So someone who was developing the system for um, you know, maintaining the atmosphere of a space capsule was using some of the same principles as someone else who was trying to understand the atmosphere of the planet. Uh, and that was the same principles as someone who was trying to develop an air conditioning system for a building, right? Yeah. So they, they were finding similar principles. We found that some of the principles of flowing waters in dams help people to understand the principles of electricity in an electrical system. So systems have commonalities across different areas of application. My particular interest is human systems, people and organizations and communities, and how all of that works. And um, I know many people who have taken the same principles and applied them in computers or applied them in um, space systems uh, or applied them in ecological work. So it's a really wonderful field that can be used in a lot of different ways. Yes, and this is really part of... Well, you know, it's a lot uh, of the work that you do. As I like to, to think about it, for all of you out there, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, growing up. I used to love these connect-the-dot pictures. Yep. You remember you remember those? You know, where, <laughs> you know, your, your parents just stick a few of those in front of you, right? And they tell you, <laughs> go ahead and connect the dots and try to, you know, and, and, and magically a horse will appear. That's if mm-hmm. you connected all the right dots. Now, mm-hmm. if you didn't connect the right dots, a horse would never appear. <laughs> right? Right. So getting the pattern, seeing the pattern is huge. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, and then the question I think that some of this really, uh, you know, begs is, is there a pattern that is available for people to have that, as you call it in the book, natural abundance? But how to tap into this pattern so that we can take what I like to call the short route to prosperity, (laughs) all right? Marvelous. Well, that was what Emerson was discovering and really excited to share. In the mid-1830s, after he was no longer officially a minister, he discovered what he called natural processes. And it was when the field we call natural history was just beginning to emerge. Uh, ecology was not a science. Biology didn't really exist yet. Botany did. None of that existed. And so he was discovering that there are processes and patterns that apply at every level of nature, whether it was at the single cell or the universal cosmos didn't matter, the same processes, the same patterns apply, which is what systems thinking says. You know, we say in system science there is one system. It is the totality of all that is, and everything else is a subsystem of that, and you use the same principles. So it was really cool to have Emerson doing what I was doing only 150 years earlier, right? And so he says there are two basic processes that nature uses. One is motion, and one is rest. And nature uses these in a series of transformations on transformations and that if we can move with it and rest with it and allow these transformations 
and get in touch with that part of us that accepts this and knows this and move with the flow of it, we are guaranteed prosperity because that's how the universe is designed for every part of it to be prosperous, abundantly prosperous. So in the book, and congratulations, by the way, uh, on the book. For those of you just tuning in, I'm here with Reverend Dr. Ruth Miller. The book is Natural Abundance, Ralph Waldo Emerson's Guide to Prosperity. And you're going to hear a little bit about uh, Emerson uh, throughout the show today. I think, though, we we need to really just have a, a brief conversation on this term, natural abundance. And what I mean by that is that... You know, people hear the term abundance. They hear the term prosperity. Um, they also hear the term money. And I was just, I was reading a book um, uh, not too long ago where uh, somebody put in quotes, money is God in action. Mm. And so, and then I was also drawn by your book. So he- here's what you write as we open the page of this book. Um, to once and future generations of seekers after the good life. Mm. And I, and I just was really drawn into that statement because it is such a powerful statement in the contrast of some of the devastation that's happening in the world right now. And honestly, the Midwest with the tornadoes is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. So this idea of natural abundance, can you explain that to our listeners? All right. Emerson's idea, as I suggested earlier, was that nature is designed for all of its parts to be fully supplied for their full development. And the only times we don't experience that is when our own thinking and our actions are out of a line with that. So I, one of the things that I did in practicing uh, the things that I learned in system science, I was a futurist. My job was to forecast the long-range impacts and the long-range possibilities unfolding for whatever anyone was interested in, whether it was a nation or a, a profession. And one of the things that I learned as a futurist was that there's a direct correlation between the consciousness, the mindset, the thinking and beliefs and emotions and feelings of, of a community and their experience. And one of the reasons I stopped being a futurist was because I discovered that all of our scenarios for how what might unfold were unfolding, but they were unfolding in different places. So we have in the heart of the fundamentalist American tradition major tornadoes on the day after this huge publicized you know day of rapture and judgment, the final judgment. Um, there are people who would say there is a direct connection there, not necessarily causing that those people brought those tornadoes on themselves, but that that consciousness, that expectation that something awful was going to happen opened up a possibility for it. Whereas Emerson says, no, don't go there. Don't get caught up in that consciousness because the universe is not a punishing universe. The universe, God, the oversoul, nature, he calls them all the same thing, is a loving, supportive environment wanting us and helping us to grow and be who we are here to be. You know, this idea of benevolence uh, or a benevolent being, a benevolent God, a benevolent spirit, mm-hmm. whatever that might be, 
Um, we, you know, this is, this is something that perhaps years and years and years ago did not exist in, in large proportion. But aren't we seeing a growing influence in benevolence? And what I mean by that, um, uh, Reverend Dr. Ruth, is this. This is not something that is now, um, how should I say, limited to what we call new thought. Uh, for example, you take a guy like Joel Osteen, um, who is non-denomination Christian. Mm-hmm. And if you ever listen to any of his, his work, any of the things he does, you would think that he is Mr. Positivity. Mm-hmm. Right? And everything he does is all about the benevolence and the power of that. What does or what do the spiritual laws that you refer to in the book, mm-hmm. you know, how do they help us Excellent. demonstrate this benevolence, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Emerson was speaking to um, a world that was becoming accustomed to hearing only what you know we would call today hellfire and damnation yeah. kinds of uh, sermons, and he was he was trying to get people to realize. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to be stuck with that. And so all of his essays were very thoroughly worked out logical structures from different perspectives to help people see that the laws of the spirit and the laws of nature are the same. And if you go inside and you discover what spirit is telling you, is speaking through you, is expressing as you, then you are operating in alignment with spirit and in alignment with nature, and the two together will guarantee your well-being. And, you know, you, you say in the book, and, I, I'm, I, and I, I, you say there's no need to be dazed and confused. Yeah. And, and, and there is this level of uh, being dazed and confused that's going on across the board. You yeah. know, you have people that have stories about why they can't close a sales deal, uh, <laughs> why money is not manifesting in their lives, why, mm-hmm. you know, why things are happening to them. How is this, day, you know, this dazed and confused idea related to the flow, so to speak? Mm-hmm. When we attempt to figure things out and use our intellect and use what people taught us in school to run our lives, according to Emerson and according to many of our experience in the last few decades, um, that process of trying to figure it out actually gets us into trouble, gets us out of the knowing, that deeper knowing that spirit offers us. He says that most of what we teach in schools, he calls them the equivalence, the mind's equivalence of the mumps and the measles. <laughs> Right? <laughs> because they, they prevent us from feeling, from being well. And he says those, you know, in that same section, he says, those who live from within have a rare self-knowledge, a deep strength. They're open to inspiration. If everyone does and says only what comes from within, only what's in harmony with his or her own true nature, his or her own true nature, then doubt or confusion is impossible. Mm. Wow, can you say that again? I'm going to ask you to say that again because that is worth repeating. Because, you know, what's happening is then doubt and confusion cannot coexist with this other energy. 
Exactly. If everyone does and says only what comes from within, only what's in harmony with his or her own true nature, then doubt or confusion is impossible. Mm. You know, I, I mean, Emerson, and this is who we're talking about, what was your personal attraction to the work of uh, to Emerson Emerson's work? Well, like everybody else, or virtually everybody else, I got to read <laughs> some of his essays in high school and in college, mm. and and waded through and tried to make pretend I understood what was being said, <laughs> and <laughs> um, and listened to what the instructor told me was being said. And accepted that. And then when I was um, beginning to study New Thought, which was after I'd completed the doctorate, I had a major health challenge. And one of the things that I learned to do to recover from that challenge was to listen, to go within and, and, and move with the inner voice rather than the outer voices. And that directed me, interestingly, to churches I didn't know existed at the time, Religious Science and Unity. Mm-hmm. and the work of Emmett Fox and those guys. And I kept finding these quotes from Emerson. Mm-hmm. And I go, wow, he said that? <laughs> and I ended up um, over time in seminary preparing to be a New Thought minister when I realized that I could no longer do the work that I do or live the life that I live without mm-hmm. explicitly honoring the Spirit in us and working through us. And, of course, in ministry, in the seminary, we read more Emerson. But, again, it didn't make much sense. Well, after the first year or so of doing my ministry, I was finding students were having difficulty making sense out of Emily Cady. So I wrote a little book called Coming into Freedom that was a translation of Emily Cady's Foundations Course Lessons in Truth. Mm. And then a little bit later, people were having a terrible time understanding Emma Curtis Hopkins. You know, high mysticism was just going right over their head, but I was seeing these beautiful gems. So I wrote a translation, if you will, of blending three of her books. I called it Unveiling Your Hidden Power and found her 12 practices, daily practices, and we put that together as a book. And what happened was people started being able to actually use Emma's writings because of their experience using my writing. <laughs> which was beautiful, and then Beyond Words approached me. They knew about the Emma book, and they approached me when The Secret came out and asked me if I could do Waddle's Science of Getting Rich and Charles Hannell's Master Key System in the same way, and I was delighted to be able to do that. And they came back to me a year or so ago, and they said, um, we're ready for a new book in that series. And I said, well, I hate to say this. I really hate to say this because he's the great man. But nobody understands Emerson. But if you look, it's in everything. I mean, The Secret had probably eight quotes from Emerson in it. And almost everybody quotes him. But, you know, you have to really mind this heap of of words to find these gems. And so we decided to do this book, taking five of his essays and bringing those gems to the surface. And I'm just well, delighted to be able to do that. I've got to ask you, do you have a favorite? Oh, my goodness. Out of all of those? I, I, <laughs> or do I, I have a favorite you're... Emerson essay? Well, you know, I, I could actually, I, I'm actually dying to hear your favorite uh, Emma Curtis Hopkins uh, quote. Oh, wow. 
You know, I well, I'll tell you the one that we used today. I, I was doing a, a class in Course in Miracles today, and we often switch back and forth between Emma and Course. And uh, what came out today was Lesson 5. The greatest power is knowing there is nothing to do. That's right. And isn't that our e- egoic challenge right there? I mean, right on. I mean, right? I mean, the ego would have us get on a wheel and run to try to catch that bite of food that we're never going to catch because the faster we run, the fat, you know, the further, the farther the food gets from, from us. Because the ego's agenda is to have us feel isolated, separated, and alone. And it's the ego or the intellect that Emerson is trying to get us to stop paying attention to and go inside to what The Course in Miracles calls the knowing, the voice of the spirit, to find that inner knowledge. Yes. And Emma did the same thing. All of these guys are saying essentially the same thing from slightly different perspectives. And Emma gives us her wonderful 12 lessons and her daily practices with this great logical process. Emerson says, well, let's look at it from the perspective of nature. Here, see how it comes through that law, that, that window, that view. Here's uh, the perspective of spiritual laws. See, it's the same thing. Here's the perspective of, well, let's talk about God, but let's call God the oversoul because a lot of people don't understand what God really is. So, <laughs> so let's look at all of this from the perspective of the oversoul. And each of these essays is coming through with essentially the same message but from these different perspectives. You know, what's interesting about what you're saying is, and, you know, I'm glad we're going to be, you know, flipping back and forth. And I just want to, for those of you tuning in, uh, I'm here with Reverend Dr. Ruth Miller. The book is Natural Abundance, Ralph Waldo Emerson's Guide to Prosperity. However, if you go to um, the website, RevRuthMiller.com, I believe that's the correct website for everybody. Uh, RevRuthLMiller.com. That's go. what it is. Yeah, RevRuthLMiller.com. And you go under the book section, all of the books we're mentioning, and the one that I am absolutely cannot wait to get is uh, uh, Unveiling Your Hidden Power. So I'm already zooming in on that. But <laughs> So, so, let, so here, let's just make a little comparison between uh, 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 Emma and Emerson for a moment. You know, when I you, love the, the the M's. You know, we've got Emma it. Fox and Emma Hopkins and Emily Katie and <laughs> Ralph Emerson. What is right? up with that, actually? Yeah, it must be meaning cool. something. <laughs> I'll check it out someday. Check um, it out. There's got to be something in there. But let's just right. talk about it because, you, you know, the way you described Emerson in this book, right, when mm-hmm. I think about nature, I think or I see something that is very organic, yes. right? Very organic. When I read Emma Curtis Hopkins, I have a very interesting interpretation that is very different than a lot of my peers that read her. And, okay. and, and some people would say she's very organized. She's very logical. She's, you know, helping people create some sense out of chaos. And, and I just wanted to get your take on it. You know, on the one hand, maybe Emma's was a Virgo and Emerson is a Sagittarian. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that could be the difference between the two, right? <laughs> well, you know, in in many ways, they're very similar. Um, you know, Emma was born about the middle of Emerson's career. 
He started in 1833. She was born in 1849. He pretty much finished teaching in 1867. She started teaching in 1885. She grew up in Connecticut. He lived in Concord, Massachusetts. We know that she was affected by what he said, and she she refers to him many times in her work. However, she felt that he was limited in what he said, which I think is interesting. In fact, that, I think, is Emma's greatest contribution. She refused to accept anybody's limits. That's why her training with Mary Baker Eddy came suddenly to an abrupt halt, because Mary Baker Eddy needed to, her to accept some limits. Um, with Emerson, she felt that he had imposed limitations on himself by believing that God granted people trials in per, uh, um, proportion to the gifts. And she said, there's no way. That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit his logic. That doesn't fit the way she experienced things. It doesn't fit what Jesus says. So he had a fundamental belief that probably he grew up with that was probably one of those core beliefs that we don't know about until suddenly it's in our face, right? And uh, she believed that his mental issues at the end, because toward the end of his life, as he put it, um, he says, oh, I'm perfectly well. I, my mental faculties are disappeared, but I'm perfectly well. Um, so she commented on that and you know she said no we need to realize we are limitless beings and nothing less than limitless resources limitless wisdom limitless love will ever satisfy us wow now just as a sidebar fyi for all of you out there uh, yes, I believe Emma Curtis Hopkins is a Virgo. <laughs> Just want to mention Actually, that right up front. I think Emerson's birthday uh, is actually today. I think really? May 25th I've forgotten is that. his birthday. Oh, um, that is funny. Well done. I totally forgot that. I know. I was like, wow, look at what we are doing. Aren't we all about something? This is cool. Um, uh, but but it's I mean you know and I I don't know I, I mean it's just kind of an interesting thought and actually for those of you out there if you're interested in Emerson's astrological chart you can just Google it and it'll show up and honestly his natal chart is amazing I've never seen so many squares chines and chine well for those <laughs> astrologer people out there there you go gonna have uh, a ball I, with it huh <laughs> oh wow yeah I want to talk about the, a term I used a few minutes ago. Uh, when we started, and it's called the flow. I know you talk about it. Um, I actually studied with someone down in California who coined this term again. When you talk about the flow in your book, and I think you, you talk about this in the spiritual laws section, mm-hmm. you know, can you please, from your point of view and from Emerson's point of view, can you please let our listeners know what does the flow mean and how does one tap into this in a lifetime? Oh, marvelous. The essence of what Emerson, I think, is aiming for is that we move into the domain in which natural processes can support us fully, that we're not fighting it, and nature doesn't have to work hard. <laughs> nature with a capital N, which is another name for God in his mind. 
Um, so when we are in that place, then automatically we're in our, you know, we have our right relations, our potential is, becomes fulfilled step by step by step without any backtracking and, and brick wall hitting on our part. Um, we find ourselves acting in a way that continually improves the life of everyone around us and may or may not have anything to do with what the, the uh, institutions around us think is appropriate. And that's part of what he's encouraging people to do. And that's the power of his essay, Self-Reliance. It's rely on the inner self, don't rely on the institutions around you. In Spiritual Laws, over and over again, he says, the people around you are going to try to get you to do it their way, and you're going to be inclined to figure it out but go within. If you go within, you will discover how easy life truly is. And my version of that, what I did in the exercises, and you know, is to give people an opportunity to experience that. But if we use his language on the flow, he says that the uh, lesson in all of our observations is to be, don't seem. Let's make our choices in accord with nature. Let's unlearn the wisdom of the world and rest in the flow of nature's power. Let's learn that the power of truth alone makes anyone rich and great. That's capital T, truth, Mm. which is another Mm. name for God. Now, that's my version of his language, but, you you know, it's his point. So when we have let go, when we have unlearned, what we've been taught in school and in family and in institutions and begin to get in touch with what's inside us and live from that place, we can move with the flow of natural abundance. You know, in many ways, the teachings of Abraham, you know, Esther and Jerry Hicks, are very Mm -hmm. much in line with that. You know, they say, Mm -hmm. stop paddling upstream. Everything you want is downstream. Just turn your boat around. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. But, you know, we continue to pretend that we are salmon. And, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, unfortunately for us, we cannot swim like salmon. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we do not get upstream, right? I mean, so. Not very well. <laughs> so, I mean, in the book, you refer to something called humanity and the oversoul. And yes. I was so struck by that term, I just thought, okay, I want to get an interpretation of this from, from Emerson. And you have a quote, uh, also, and you explain what Emerson, Emerson has saw, uh, you know, sees with this. Tell folks what that means, humanity and the oversoul. Well, you know, I, I like the way he opens the essay myself, or my yeah. version of the way he opens the essay, you know. As I consider my life, I must acknowledge a higher origin for its events than the will I call mine. The same goes for my thoughts. I can desire, I can look up and become receptive. But the visions and answers come from someplace outside my normal waking self. So I've come to think of humanity as a stream whose source is hidden. Mm. And when I watch that river of life and imagination flowing into me from someplace I can't begin to see, I understand that I'm a receiver of my life. So the oversoul, he says, is the soul of which each of our souls is part, which we have 
100% access to at any instant that we're willing to let go of our normal thinking and egoic processes and is guiding and supporting and sustaining all beingness in all of the universes. Mm. And one of the things that you also talk about, um, and, 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 I, and this is really, a, you know, for me, this is, I can't wait to hear you talk about this, is you talk about growth and development. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of people that refer to the soul and the growth of the soul um, kind of like I was talking about connecting the dots, like as if there were these steps that one has to take, as if that, you know, there's this fire that we have to go through, these lessons that we have to learn. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. It's like, yeah, the soul uh, wants you to... Uh, end your 14-year relationship and file bankruptcy and that's so the soul. I mean, where did we get that story from? Or is well, it true? Well, I think it's because someone once said that, you know, that the earth is like a school and so, you know, it's a place where we learn lessons, but they started applying the way we structure school in Western culture to that concept, right? Oh, boy. Nobody, Dang. you know, if, if we look at the history of education and humanity, a building that a whole bunch of kids, hundreds or thousands of kids show up in every day and sit in chairs and follow a clock is only, it's less than a century old as a concept. Mm. Okay, and it's only in factory communities. Basically, it's in culture that is preparing people to work in factories. Yeah. And part of the reason our educational mm-hmm. system is breaking down now is because we're not preparing people to work in factories anymore. Right. We don't have factories in this country to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? So That's we don't right. have an educational system that is supportive of the way we actually live our lives, which Emerson would totally accept because, as we saw in the beginning of the uh, Spiritual Laws essay, he didn't think kids should have to sit in school all day. And that's someone who had been a schoolmaster for over 20 years saying that. <laughs> and, you know, it's really interesting. I, I mean, I, I went on to read in, in, in your book, um, and I, I actually had to read and reread um, the, um, the, cup, the, the, the section on wisdom and truth. And I wanted to ask you about this. Um, and, and this is something that's really near and dear to me. I mean, you know, believe it or not, my research was on broken promises. Oh, wow. So, yeah, let's talk about truth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, there are folks that say, look, I am standing in my truth right now. This is an important part of my life. I am going to tell the truth. I am standing in my truth. Uh-oh. I, I mean, you, oh, that's, I was just going to, and, and, you know, and I know a couple of people like this, and I look at them and I say, wow, this is such an interesting, the way that you're actually showing up in the world that is around telling your truth. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about wisdom and truth, I mean, these seem to be silent partners in a lot of ways. And so announcing that we are going to be about truth could either be the ego or a projection, or maybe the truth does need to be announced. I'd love to hear from you. Oh, wow. Normally when someone says, I'm standing in my truth, what they're saying is, I have finally realized how I feel about the appearances, the facts, that I am have been contemplating for some period of time, and I don't like it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Which hasn't got a whole lot to do with 
the divine power that we call truth, that divine quality that we call with a capital T, truth, or wisdom in most cases. But it's a necessary stage in development for people to be able to say something like that. Um, it's part of the individuation process to mm-hmm. use child development work language. Um, it's the pro- point at which we say, I get it. I have to speak from my understanding. I can't keep going along with what the world around me is telling me. So I, I'm not going to condemn someone who is saying that, right, but what right. they are using is, uh, or the term truth that they are using is probably more accurately facts. I'm, you know, I am ready to state the facts as I perceive them. Perception and knowledge are not the same. Mm. Understanding a perception or integrating perceptions into a framework is not the same as wisdom. And that's a shift for us. We're not accustomed to thinking that way. From Emerson's point of view and from Emma's as well, Wisdom and truth are divine faculties that are available to everyone that's willing to turn off the monkey mind, turn off that inner dialogue, and open themselves in the silence to discovering them. Mm. And they are always loving. They are always unconditionally accepting. They are always guidance toward the good for all. Mm. Uh, you know that is so beautifully said and um and we are also in search of the holy grail called prosperity yes <laughs> um and defined in many ways um many different ways by many different cultures but in this culture And again, I just want to refer to a little book that I picked up here last Sunday called Money is God in Action. That's a little, one of these little short little books you get, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And so here's what I would love to talk with you about, because I really love to get to the energy of some of this. You know, prosperity in its definition uh, in, in, in some circles does mean money. In other circles, it does not. Uh, and, and does include money. And then I've heard it also defined where it doesn't include money. And mm-hmm. I'm saying we're all dazed and confused around money. <laughs> Excellent. So part of what you're being told is don't look outside for your understanding of prosperity. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, And that is part of what Emerson is saying. My prosperity is not going to be the same as yours. And if I can love and not covet or envy, I already have it. So he says exactly this. He says, if there is an estate next to mine and I love that land and I love those people and I love those buildings, they are mine as fully as if I officially owned them because they're part of the being that I am, the love that I am. Mm. And I will have access to them in Mm -hmm. that love fully and completely. Mm -hmm. We will be sharing this in the oneness that we are. So prosperity for Emerson was individual, 
Mm-hmm. Each, each person would define it individually. He would say the rich man is the one who lies in the sun and sleeps, thinking rather than doing and changing the world. I love that. You know, I was really struck by, uh, as I got to the section of the book under uh, the, the, the uh, chapter, The Need for Self-Reliance, there was, mm-hmm. uh, th- there was a part of the book that I have uh, read uh, like four times, and I'll probably read it again. Um, oh and it's, it, it's living from, uh, from the source within. And, and I yeah. want, and just let me read this for a minute, because I really Wait. want you to co- comment on this. Y- you know, uh, what you say here is, um, having laid out the issues for anyone seeking fulfillment in our society and the general solution, Emerson provides very specific guidelines for becoming someone who attracts wealth and creates well-being. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this section of the book because you're really clear, as I believe Emerson was, that we can have this conversation and there is a met, there is a way to to create this place for ourselves, living from the source within. Absolutely. It's not just a handful of people like we have come to know. I mean, honestly, don't you think we've grown up in a society where we think the Dalai Lama, right, the Pope, a couple of other people, <laughs> they can do this? Well, we yeah. haven't earned the right to do it yet. The rest ah, of us haven't earned the right. There we go. Would say, but you were born with the right. <laughs> this is an inalienable right. You know, Emerson was one of the first generation born after the Constitution was ratified. Mm. They were the first people to live in a land where it was assumed everyone had an inalienable right, a right that could never be taken away from them, to pursue their happiness and experience liberty and their own life. And so this is part of what he was explaining to everybody. So you're born with the right. You don't earn the right. That's the first thing. Just because you exist, you have the right to be prosperous. And the more that you just exist, that is, the more that you go inside and move with the flow, what I call, use the three E's, follow what is energizing, what is effortless, and what is enjoyable. If you do those three things, then you will automatically be using your talents. You'll be doing them at the time when you are at the peak of your capacity to do them because it's effortless and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. You will be doing what is your unique thing because nobody else is going to enjoy it as much as you. <laughs> and because it is your unique thing, it will be your unique contribution to the whole. And that means nobody can ever compete to, with you because it's yours. Right? So as you follow these, then you begin to have a niche that is your own perfect niche that nobody else can follow. And as you have the perfect niche and you are that, people will start showing up simply because they are attracted to who and what you are. And as people start showing up and you give and be the highest and best that you are because it's effortless, enjoyable, and energizing to do so, then they return in, you know, with the appropriate compensation, not because they feel like they have to, but because that's how it works. <laughs> And so, yeah, that's a whole essay of compensation. Whatever you put out, you will get back. And you may not get it back directly. 
it may not be that the person you give this wonderful piece of work to actually pays for the fullness of it, but then someone sees this wonderful piece of work that you've given this other person and they go, can I pay you this much for another piece of work? <laughs> so with Emerson, he was on a track to be a minister. And if he had really done a good job as a minister, he might have earned a, a decent salary at that time, 2000 a year. That would be like 40000 this year, this time, mm. okay? And by midpoint in his lecturing career, as he consistently did what was effortless, enjoyable, and energizing for him, he was making $2,000 in a season and sometimes over a course of a few lectures. So he was like tripling his income by doing this and was mm-hmm. able to buy that piece of land that Henry David Thoreau spent his years a year on, Walden Pond, which is 11 acres of small lake, actually. So as we live from the source within, we become the expression of our original self, We express our unique gift. We become great because nobody else can do what we do, and we get better and better at it. Our self-expression and creativity are in total alignment, and we are authentic. We are inspired. How can we not be prosperous? Mm, I love this. And, you know, it's... I, I think I'd save the best for last here in this hour, and 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 it is it is still in this in in what you you you've indicated here and what Emerson talks about in the need for self reliance. So let me give you a, a really quick backdrop. I was having a conversation with a group of people. Uh, it's got to be a couple of weeks ago, and you know they, we were sitting around, and one of the folks in the group says, "Oh my gosh, I love Eckhart Tolle's book on the power of now," mm-hmm. and the other guy says, "Wait a minute." That book was really nothing more than a reflection of the work that Catherine Ponder did. The third person (laughs) then chimes in and says, oh, no, Catherine Ponder didn't get it until Emerson got it. And then uh, finally the, the other person came in. And, uh, and, and just said somebody I didn't even know. And so, in this section of the book, you, you refer to in the now. Mm-hmm. And I have read Eckhart's book. And, you know, there's a lot in that book. And I had found it very difficult if, in, in terms of applying. But mm-hmm. let's really get down to the basics. You know, can you create prosperity by focusing on the future or focusing on the path? What is the relationship to Emerson's guides, uh, guideline to prosperity and, 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 and being in the now. Marvelous. He says history is useless, even injurious, <laughs> if it's taken as more than a metaphor, a parable mm. of the individual's being and becoming. If we become attached to the past, there was an image that was used in the 70s in some of the uh, in, you know, trainings that were going on then, uh, where someone would be driving their car by hanging onto the rearview mirror. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Can't get very far. So if you're looking, if you're attached to how you always did it, there's no way you can move forward. But if you're looking way out beyond the range of where your vehicle can shift and change, you know, a long-range future dream or vision, 
then you're not able to adjust to the initial immediate shifts that need to happen. Um, so he says, if we live truly, we shall see truly. When we have a new perception, we'll gladly free the memory of all its treasures, letting go of the past as old rubbish. Okay? And then we begin to be present to what is. When we can do that, in that moment, he says, that hour of vision, there is no gratitude nor even joy. Fear and hope are alike in that state since even hope is less than perfect. So at that moment when we've let go of the past, the future no longer is an issue. I was uh, speaking with my team here the other day. I have a friend who is a very, very successful salesman in New York City. And uh, he, he, a statement he made to me, um, a light bulb went on and we, we were talking, it was a group of us talking and someone said to him something like, you know, hey John, uh, you, you know, how are you, how are you making it, you know, during this recession? And John just looks at the person and says, what recession? Right on. And, and so, in, and, and very successful. And so we are at some degree, we are on the edge of being saturated by so much dramatic information. Do you know what I'm trying to say about oh, that? Oh, yes. Okay. It's, that's uh, why you know, some people suggest taking a media fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but, you know, everybody is, you know, everybody's got to see Oprah's last show. But, <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, that's I right. I was teaching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, so so here we are. And we are are really wanting to be in the now, but we're looking at our track record. Isn't this a famous term we use? Our tra- what's mm-hmm. your track record? You know, how many widgets did you sell? How many books did you write? You know, Pat, how many people did you interview? You know, did you mm-hmm. interview? You know, like most of the time, I say I don't remember what I asked. Right. I, I don't remember what I said. And it doesn't matter because in the now, it was totally appropriate. So if we are in the now, how does that, how does that attract prosperous outcomes? Because we really live in an outcome world at some level. And I'm not saying that we don't need to have some eye on, you know, does Emerson say we don't need some kind of roadmap? I don't think so. Well, the roadmap is that inner guidance. Right. He would suggest that if we trained everybody to go inside and Mm -hmm. live from that, we would not need schools. We would not need most of our institutions. We definitely wouldn't need the kind of politi- political government processes we have. You know, if we could do that, the roadmap, he says, is built in to natural processes and spiritual laws. So go inside and discover it. Go inside and discover it. Go inside. And when you do that, he says, you know, only to the extent that the soul is present and unfolding is its power active in our lives. As a result, whoever is more reliant on or obedient to the soul than I, even if she doesn't do or say or thing, must be my teacher, my master. And he ends that section by saying that these people are the people who ultimately rule the world. Okay? Now, what does that mean, rule the world? It means have 
the total abundance and prosperity that we have assumed that an emperor would have in the world that matters to us. So if I'm if I'm someone who's operating globally, then I'll mm-hmm. have all the resources that are appropriate, like, oh, let's say Branson, the Virgin Airlines and Records guy, right? Yeah. He has all the resources that are appropriate to do the things that are his gift. And I personally have all the resources that are appropriate to do everything that is my gift, which doesn't look anything like that, but is beginning to have an equally global impact, Right. So each of us will have all the resources, all the power, all the wisdom we could ever want or need to be and do who we are when we live from the inside out. So this now really leads to my the, to, a, to a, dazed and confused again. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're hearing more and more. We have to train our minds. We have to train our minds. As a matter of fact, this little book somewhere in here, oh, oh, let me read this. It says, we must first convince our own minds. That is probably why every time that people came to Jesus and needed his help, he asked them, do you believe? So I want to ask you this because I think this is really the, the where people um, get a disconnect. Is it about the mind? And how does the mind help us or not help us go within? So the question then becomes, you know, if we look at what Emerson's saying and then what some others say about the mind and the reprogramming and and so forth, are they one and the same or, or are we talking about different things? Well done. The mind has been subdivided. When we decided somewhere in our infancy that we were not okay and that our parents were other than us, we've developed something that some people call the ego, some people call, you know, all kinds of names, small self, that believes that it is the mind and it figures things out and it determines things based on that core belief I am separate from what is good. I have to work hard to have what I want. Suffering is my norm, etc. That aspect of mine can only get us into trouble because that's all it knows how to do. It mm-hmm. reinforces being separate and isolated and alone and generally miserable. The aspect of mine that gets us in the flow that is in alignment with natural law and spiritual law that moves us toward the abundance prosperity is the full mind, the total mind, the whole mind, the sacred self, pick, you know, pick a name, uh, has many names, the higher self. That aspect of mind is the mind that we can rely on. So any training that we do is, is to shift our identity from the small self, the ego self, to the higher self, the sacred self, so that I don't think of myself as an isolated being. I know that who I am is part of this undivided whole, the totality of the system using my intellect, the totality of God using my spiritual training, the totality of the oversoul, the totality of all that is, the many universes. That is who I am. I am the embodiment of that in this moment. When I know that, then everything that this small self has to say is irrelevant. 
Mm. So the only discipline is to recognize the irrelevancy of what the small self is saying. Wow. This has been such a wonderful conversation. And, you know, I did not even get to talk with you about, to, to talk about polarity. Oh, my gosh. You have <laughs> to come back. Parody, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you it's built in. You know, one of the things I'd like to refer to is, have you ever tried to magnetize one end of a needle? Oh, that's an interesting thought. You can't. You magnetize no, one end of a needle. And automatically, the other end is the opposite polarity. I, I, I mean, I, I no, I was just thinking that. Okay, this is not a trick question. It's impossible to do. That's right. Right, but you know, and there, and and you're right. In the book, it's just beautiful. First of all, thank you for joining me here today. Um, I love the book. I love that you actually put Emerson's essays in the book as well. Absolutely, we need his original writings out in the world. Yeah, and they're very fun. I mean, I get to read them now and still end up dazed and confused sometimes, but <laughs> I'm, ma- I'm making progress. Uh, <laughs> Please, let's give out your website. Let people know how they can get a copy of your book. And, and actually, you should let them know how they can get a copy of some of these other books you wrote because they're pretty, very cool. Oh, thank you. So the website that is my personal website is RevRuthLMiller.com. And um, people are welcome to order the books through that site. That'll be fine. If they want to order them directly from the publisher, they may, either through Simon & Schuster or the uh, Oregon branch of Simon & Schuster that did this particular uh, book called Beyond Words. So if they go to beyondword.com, uh, they can order it. I think there's actually a uh, discount right now there. And it's on Amazon, and it's at Barnes & Noble and mm-hmm. BNN and all those other places. So I'm happy to support people acquiring the book in any way they like. And if they come to my website, they might learn some other interesting things. And why don't we say happy birthday to Ralph Waldo yes. Emerson? Thank you. <laughs> That's a beautiful <laughs> reminder. May 25th, 1803. Uh, and for those of you out there that want to see his chart, have a blast with that. Thank you, Reverend Dr. Ruth, for joining me here today. It has been a pleasure and a delight, and we didn't even scratch the surface of all that you've written here. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. It was a delight, and many, many blessings on this wonderful work you're doing. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of you for tuning us in and turning us on. I want to just say, if you have missed any part of this, just give us a couple of days to get the archive up, and we will get it up. Uh, Amazing conversation. Get a copy of the book for yourselves. And remember, boy, we are all getting ready to go within. Thank you so much for tuning us in and turning us on. We'll see you next time on The Dr. Pat Show. Overgrown, but you can barely see the ground.